Well, good morning. Uh, I think one of the things, just in talking about this idea of divine kingship and God's authority over everything, makes me think of a newer worship song that we've sung here a few times. But the opening line of the song called Is He Worthy by Andrew Peterson says, do you feel the world is broken? And then, you know, there's this echo of we do, right? Um, and I think if anything kind of characterizes life this side of heaven um, in, in 2020 where we find ourselves, I think that's worthwhile reflecting on. You know, do we feel like the world is broken, like it's messed up, like something isn't right? Um, and I think the answer is, you know, probably not a subtle yes, but a resounding like yes, like something is wrong. Um, the world is indeed very, very broken. And, and there's so many things in life that kind of point to that reality and, um, and point to that need for someone to fix it, right? And, and that's really what Psalm 97 is going to, to help expose and show us, I think, as we, as we delve into it some more, um, just answering that question of who's in charge, you know, when everything seems out of control, when my family's out of control, and my job is not what I would like it to be, um, when my day-to-day just seems very chaotic, you know, who can make sense of the chaos? And I, I think God in his word has provided an answer to that for us um, throughout all of scripture, but especially as we look at Psalm 97. And so just think through as we start that, that question of who is in charge. Um, I want to start by reading the passage and then, oh, much better, there we go. Um, and then we're going to just dig into to the encouragement that's there for us, that the reminder that's there for us. And so if you would turn with me to Psalm 97, it's on page 499 of the Pew Bibles, if you have one of those. If you don't, I'm not sure what page it's on in your Bible, but I'm just going to start, start there. And we're going to read the whole, the whole passage. So Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice. Because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if you like like late 90s and early 2000s television, but... My wife and I really do. And one of my favorite TV shows that just reminds me of just like growing up, for some reason I was really into politics and really loved government things. So I loved The West Wing. That was my favorite, favorite show. Loved the storylines in it. But there's one particular like part of the series where something really bad happens to the president's daughter. And they can't find her and like everything's just kind of spinning out of control. And so the president decides 
as a response, you know, he can't focus on his job because he's worried about his family. And so he decides to step down temporarily as president. And then his replacement for a time is going to be kind of his political enemy. Um, someone who his, his staff and everyone who works in his government are just kind of afraid of, you know, what's he going to do when he comes into power. And there's this moment in the show when um, all of the staff for the president are just kind of waiting nervously, anxiously, very uncertain about the future. And the, the upcoming, the new president walks up, who's very different than their boss, right? And, and he lets them know, you know, he's in charge, like it's going to be okay. You take a deep breath, relax. Um, and, and while our lives are similar, I think, to maybe the, this president's staff, who are like, we're, we're looking at the world, or we're looking at our life, and we're wondering um, how to make sense of it, or who's, who's in charge, or who's going to help us make decisions. You know, we can, we can be a lot like those people. Um, and unlike the sitting, the new president that comes up and says, relax, the psalmist points us to the Lord in this, in this passage and says, rejoice. Um, it's not, it's not a, passive, a passive thing. When we see the glory of the Lord, when we reflect on the truth about who the God is that we've been singing about and who we've been learning about, um, no matter how long you've been a Christian, if you're a Christian today, I mean, our response isn't a passive one. It's, it's one of action. It's you know, rejoice, do something, respond to who he is. And so I, I hope this morning, that's one of the things that, that really comes through in this passage is just that as we're going through it, the more and more that we learn about who God is and about the truth of who the Lord, who this divine King is, um, that we'll see their implications for our life, right? They're not pass- passive implications, but implications of us to respond to that. And we'll, and we'll see that in this passage. Um, one of the other things I think this, this does is really point us almost like a funnel. I work in marketing, so I think in funnels a lot for work. But, but a funnel, you know, starts up here kind of at this high level and really just gets more and more specific and hones in as you go um, and points you to kind of this end result. And if you are doing a marketing campaign, this kind of shows you like what that, all that work, all that effort, all those things we're leading up to. Um, and I think this passage does something similar, but it's just pointing us to the Lord from bookend to bookend. You know, it's saying, it's starting at the beginning, saying the Lord reigns. And then it ends with rejoice in the Lord. And I think everything we're going to see in the middle um, is going to be positioned in that way. Like there's a trajectory to this passage that the psalmist has, and it's, it's really the Lord at both ends. You know, he wants us to, to know who he is, to acknowledge that, to reflect on that. And maybe that's where we find ourselves this morning having a hard time. Do you acknowledge that, that the Lord reigns, that he is in control of every major detail and every minor detail of your life? You know, do you acknowledge that truth when you're making breakfast for your kids or when you're rushing off to work or when you turn on cable news? Are, are we we're really living with that truth in mind? Because that it's the truth. It's a reality. It's not a not a wild guess that the psalmist has, right? He's pointing us to something that is very true. And, and I think we can often find ourselves questioning the authority of God in the midst of our circumstances, whatever they may be. Even in the most normal of years, the most normal of lives, there are moments um, where there's uncertainty and there's, there's a tension that we feel, I think, of, of feeling like things are not in control or not how we want them to be. And maybe we're fighting for control ourselves. Like we want to correct all the things that are wrong and right all the ships in our lives. Um, David definitely did that, who wrote most of the Psalms. You know, he, 
made a mess of his life at times. He was a good and wise king, and we see that through Scripture, but he also wasn't a perfect king. He made a lot of mistakes. He, he did a lot of things wrong. He put himself first in his role as someone who was to rule as a king over God's people. And I think one of the things we'll see here is, looking at Psalm 97, is the Lord who's reigning isn't like the psalmist who's writing this passage. And so he's very different. And that's one of the things that we're going to peel through a little bit. So as we look at this passage together, my, my hope is that it will be an encouraging reminder for, for you and for me um, that the Lord's in complete control over creation and He's over control over all the things he's made. And because he's in control, because he's the divine king, that fact demands a direct response from us, from his people, right? Um, we need to do something as, as a response to knowing that truth about who he is. Um, and as we continue to look through today, if you're taking notes, um, kind of how I'm framing this is that since the Lord is in control over creation and since his divine authority does demand a direct response from us, um, we're going to see that in, in three, three different areas. So in verses 1 through 5, we're going to look at the, the rule of a majestic king. In verses 6 through 9, we're going to look at the response of creation in light of who that king is. And then in verses 10 through 12, we're going to look at the remembrance of God's people. And so there's, there's a structure to the passage. There's a trajectory that it's, that's heading in. Um, and so ultimately the Lord is the trajectory, and I want us to see that. And so as the psalm starts, it says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Um, he doesn't kind of beat around the bush with what this passage is about and, and with who it's about. You know, this is about the Lord. The Lord is in charge, right? This is the focus of, of what the psalmist is writing about right now. And that, that's encouraging. I think, I think the psalmist wants that to be a reason for for great excitement. You know, that's why we do a call to worship at the beginning of our services is just to take a minute and reflect for a second as we're starting. Like, you know, we're worshiping the Lord. You know, we're here to worship a person or a group of people or a way of life. You know, we're here to worship the Lord and he needs to be our focus. And so why should that be? You know, I think that's a natural question a lot of times is we can, we can believe that at a surface level, but why? Like, why worship the Lord? Why acknowledge, why believe that he reigns? What has he done to show us that? I mean, in part to show that a little bit to us, I'm going to go back um, to Exodus 15. I'm just going to read the first 18 verses of Exodus 15. So bear with me while I read that. I think the psalmist is, is coming to, to us. He's writing these words um, out of a heart that has has some of these things in mind that, that Exodus mentioned. So going back to Exodus 15, this is right after the Israelites crossed the dry land of where the Red Sea was when the Lord parted the sea. And in verse 1 it says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. 
In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. And then verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people who you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm, and they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And so this, you might be wondering how this relates to what we're reading this morning in Psalm 97, but I think it relates in a big way. Um, the psalmist starts, you know, with acknowledging that the Lord reigns and that the earth should be rejoicing, the earth should be responding to who he is. The coastlands, the, the coastlands is another way of saying the distant lands, the distant shores, you know, the whole world, all the peoples of the whole world um, should be glad in knowing that the Lord is in charge. And in a lot of ways that points back to what he's done for Israel, right? There's, there's a reflection of who this mighty king is. Um, so he's, he's, he's in complete control, right? And what, what do they do when, what do the Israelites do when the Lord delivers them, right? That's, that's one of the main reasons for looking back is once they cross the Red Sea, they cross the dry land, their first response is to sing to him. And what is a song but a song, Right? in light of who God is and what he's done, this is one way that the psalmist is even responding, is, is writing this song for God's people to sing together, um, to remember who it is that, that reigns over them. Um, and, and I think that, that really is where the psalm is coming from, out of a heart that's full of gratitude, that is reflecting on the truth about who God is and what he's done over time to, um, to his people. And so we'll talk about that a little bit more. But just, just starting there, you know, we... We're talking about this psalm and the psalm last week that James preached through, Psalm 29, um, as divine kingship songs. And so these, these are definitely songs about you know, the Lord as king, but it's a little more than that, right? Like there's, there's so much under the surface of the divine king than just a king in our mind you know, on his throne. And so Mark Futado, who's a professor we've mentioned a lot because we've all had him in seminary, but one of the things he says about divine kingship songs is, that the king's coming to establish cosmic order and bring abundant life is what the ancients who wrote the Old Testament and all of creation longed for, right? So this divine king is, is not just an ideal. It's pointing to a, a person, but it's, it's a person who is not just reigning on a throne. But he's bringing order to things that are disordered. He's, 
He's bringing order to people's lives. He's bringing orders to creation. He's bringing order to the entire universe. And, and through that, he's bringing abundant life to all those who would hope in him, right? That's, that's who the divine king is. He's, he's not just like King Arthur or anyone else, you know, maybe from literature that we've read, um, who is maybe a good king, even like King David, who was a good king that the Lord put where he was to serve where he was. But he isn't the divine king who can make sense out of a very disordered world. And if, if you're here this morning, and that's kind of where you find your mindset a lot lately of just being kind of stuck and thinking about how disordered things are, be encouraged. See the words of Psalm 97 that we're looking at. There's a divine king who has come, and he's making, he's making things right. He's bringing order, restoring order back to where there wasn't any before. And this is the king we need, right? This is the king we need to be hoping in. And a world where that's the case, a world where order is completely in place, where everything is working like it's supposed to, like a type A person's like dream, you know, what, is that, what does that sound like? It sounds kind of like paradise, right, in a lot of ways. Like everything just working like it should. Everyone doing what they're supposed to do. Um, those types of things. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been to the state of Maine, but as you're driving in to the state or if you see license plates, their kind of state motto is Maine, the way life should be. And so you kind of get that idea of there's a way life should be, and then there's the way that it actually is um, in Scripture. And this divine king is coming to, to restore order, to make life the way that he created it to be originally, to, to fix it. And so that's, that's the foundation to keep in mind. And I think that's why the, the psalmist doesn't really pull any punches when he starts off um, th- this passage. You know, he wants us to know the Lord's in charge. That influences everything else. And thinking about kind of the bookends of the passage, that influences the response that we're going to see in creation, in people, um, in the heavenly places. Um, that's all a response to who, who the Lord is. If he's not reigning, there's no need to respond. There's no need for us to do anything but run around in chaos, right? But, but that's not the case. And so let's look at verses 2 through 5, because that was just one verse. Um, the clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes out before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightning lights up the world. James talked about the thundering king you know, of glory last week. Uh, and this passage talks about the Lord in terms of lightning, whose lightning lights up the whole world. It's different than any other kind of lightning, right? It's more powerful than any other kind of lightning. There's no one like the divine king, the Lord. There's no one like him. And I think that's what these words are trying to articulate for us as much as they can, right? There's, there's no one like this king. He's not sharing his glory. And I think that's why the Exodus passage is, is so important because it's a reflection on there were these adversaries that were after God's people. They were after God's glory. You know, Pharaoh was God in his mind and he wanted to do what he wanted to do. And the Lord taught them, I think that day in a very big way, no one does that but me. You know, I, I'm the Lord. I do what I please, scripture tells us. And, and Exodus, not just there when he parts the waters, but over and over um, as Moses and the Israelites are walking with the Lord, we see just how he shows them that, how he shows them that there's not a king and not a leader quite like I am. And he's not sharing his glory. And this idea in verse two of clouds and thick darkness also kind of go back to earlier in the Old Testament um, when 
when God descends onto the Mount Sinai, you know, and he's, he's unapproachable, there's a, a thick cloud that settles so that the people can't see his glory. Because what happens when you see the glory of this king? You, you don't survive that experience, right, in, in our sinful state. And, and so I think just knowing that this is a distinct king, he's not like anyone else, is, is something we need to, to keep in mind. Um, in verse 3 again, you know, fire goes out before him and burns up his adversaries. In Exodus, the floodwaters overtook the enemies of God and drowned them. And so you just get this idea that there's a cosmic ruler, not just an earthly one, right? Like, we're, like we kind of naturally think a lot of times just in these earthly concepts of this earthly king ruling over an earthly kingdom. But this is a, a cosmic king. And he's ruling over the cosmos, everything that exists. He rules over it. Um, and there's this idea that he's in control of these cosmic forces, you know, like fire who consumes those who are against him. Verse 5 says, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord. And so there's a, re- a response that the creation under the, the reigning of this king has, right? Mountains melt. Uh, mountains crumble. Um, other places in Scripture talk about how the rocks cry out, you know, and, and just this idea that, that everything that exists acknowledges God is, is king in some way or another. And he's shown that to us in his general revelation, right? Like in, in things like nature, like the thunder, like the lightning, um, like the, the beauty that's around us in Wisconsin in the fall, right? Like that's, that's a general way that we see uh, a glimpse of, of this king's reign and how he orders things so beautifully and, and gives us a, just a foretaste of that. <clears throat> And this is a reminder I think we need like all the time, right? We, we need to be reminded of, of the power of our king, that he consumes his enemies, that he makes cosmic forces do what he wants them to do. Because we're so tempted to, to get lost in the instability of temporal earthly life, I think, that we can lose sight of that, right? We can, our view can be so one-dimensional a lot of times. And I think this passage is pointing us to... And, all the Psalms, you know, have been pointing us to, to get outside ourselves, to think beyond like, what you can see or what you're experiencing and remember the truth. Um, you know, there's so many other Psalms where the psalmist is just kind of having this conversation, you know, back and forth with himself about remembering the truth. And, and this is similar to that. It's a reminder of, of what's true. We need to be, as God's people, thinking about what's true. And what's true is the, the lightning of, of our God lights up the world. He consumes his enemies. The earth sees him and trembles. And so creation has this very intense response to its creator, to the one who rules over it. And, and there aren't really any words, even though these are good ones. I think these articulate um, the, the seriousness of who, who the Lord is and the intensity of his reign and intensity of his power. Um, these are, are helpful words, but I don't think they fully encapsulate the truth of that, right? Like we just can't quite comprehend um, how there is no one quite like him. We can say that. I think we need to be saying that, but it's, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around. We need, we need to be reminded with scripture, with words like this, that help us to see how small some of the things that maybe we're dealing with or that our world is dealing with are in comparison to who he is. And as a response of that, you know, creation, creation responds, right? What can creation do but worship him? Looking at verses 6 and 7, it says that the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame. 
And so the truth about God, as I just mentioned, it's on display for everyone to see, even those who don't believe in him, who want to reject him, who want to ignore that reality sometimes. It doesn't mean that it's not on display, right? He's shown himself to us, who he has made. Uh, Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, right? Similar to this. Like, and if the heavens are declaring it, if it's up in the sky, like, it's, it's there for us to see. God's not hiding who he is, right? This God who's making mountains disappear, right, isn't, isn't hiding from us. He wants us to know that he's the Lord, that he's the reigning king. <clears throat> and so Romans 1 also says something similar in the opening chapter of how God's shown himself, like God's revealed himself to everyone, so we're all without excuse, right, for who, who this king is. Like we can't act like we don't know that there's a God because he's shown us that he exists. And in verse 6, you also see, um, you know, we have this picture of the heavens, but you also see this, this mentioned again, like the coastlands at the beginning of the chapter, that all the people see his glory. So you, you keep seeing a glimpse of all the people, of the nations, of everyone, which I think is an important thing for us to, to pick up on because we also just kind of naturally deal in life in like tribes, I think. And we think about people who are like us and we're God's people, they're not. Or we're this party, they're that party. Or we're an adult, you're a child. You know? um, and what it keeps saying here in these different instances is that the Lord's reign is over everyone. Like not just his people, but people who reject him. You know, like I mentioned before, people who could not care any less about who God is. Like he's, he's still their king too. And he um, wants us all to see his glory. We're all to respond, not just, not just us in this room, but everyone outside this room too. And I think that should fuel kind of how we look at our lives, right? When we're tempted to kind of retreat from, from chaos and from uncertainty, this, this fact that God is king over the nations and he's here for the nations should spur some excitement in us, I think, to make sure the nations know that, that people who aren't like us know that he is, he's king, he's, he's good, he, he loves us as his creation, and he's made a way for us to know him intimately through, through Christ. I think that should be a, a fuel for our evangelism, you know, in our day-to-day lives, and, and that should help us to not get, get stuck, I think, in just the four walls of our house or the four walls of a church building or anything like that, but that that would push us outward to, to love other people because we can see clearly that, that God wants all people to see clearly and truthfully who he is, right? <clears throat> and this also uh, makes me think of going to an art museum. I don't know if you've ever been to like a famous museum like the Louvre or the British Museum of Art or something like that. I haven't, but maybe you have. Um, but if you go to one of the rooms where the main collections are, like the most popular most beautiful, most famous pieces of art are like the Mona Lisa, for instance, you'll notice there's like this beautiful painting, right? But it's very small and it's kind of encased and people can't get too close to it. And there's only room in the room for so many people. So not even everyone can see this beautiful work of art. Um, There's a limit. And I think the difference we're seeing in scripture is that's not the case with God and his glory and his beauty and the truth of who he is. He, He wants the whole world to take notice, the whole cosmos to take notice. Uh, and, that, and that should really be, be fueling how we think about the worship of God, right? Doing that collectively as a church, because we should be, that, that is what we're called to do, but also going out into the world, sharing this with others, letting them know that, that this is true, that there's a divine king who's reigning right now, and I, I need to tell you about who, who he is, right? That, 
that is extremely important. Um, and just his generosity, you know, with showing us that, his goodness, his grace with showing us who he is is something I think we need to, to note here. Um, and then in verse 7, it says, All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. I mean, this is different than what you see in other psalms, this idea of being put to shame. You know, um, in Psalm 25, for instance, it says, none who wait for you will be put to shame. Like those who worship the Lord, like will never be doing that in vain, right? It won't be worthless or pointless to put all of our eggs into this this basket of of who who God is, the reality of this reigning Lord. I think this is a good reminder, right? That all, all worshipers of anything else will be disappointed. They will be put to shame. They... They will be let down and looking for a king somewhere else. But those who make their boast in the Lord, like that's not, that's not true, as we'll see. Um, and then at the end of verse 7, it says, Worship him, all you gods. And so this word for gods here, you, know, you may be reading this and thinking how you're not a god <laughs> and I'm not a god, but um, this is a reference to like heavenly beings, right? So God created heavenly beings too, just like he created us, right? And so even, even the heavenly beings, as we're working our way kind of down this funnel from this big picture of how God's in charge, like going a little bit further down, like there's these heavenly beings under, under who he is. And even they are supposed to be rightly acknowledging and rightly responding and rightly worshiping him and not worshiping other things. Because we've seen in other parts of the Old Testament, for instance, that there are heavenly beings that don't do that, right? That, that trade God's glory for something lesser. And so... I think that that's also important to, to see in context of, you know, it's not just the Lord, this divine king and us, people on earth, but there's, there's a lot in between, right? There's a lot of creation in between those two things. And I think that's helpful um, just to see how big God is and also just to, to see how the world and the solution that God's bringing isn't just a solution that's like for us. Because I think we can kind of be a, a little self-centered sometimes, even by accident, um, with that. I'm um, just believing that you know, the truth of who God is and the truth of what he's done, but, but kind of just trying to keep as much of that as we can for ourselves. And, and we see a bigger picture than that here that I hope is encouraging. And so the, this is to say that you know, the trust that you and I place, just like the trust the angels in the heavenly places is placing in the Lord, is not going to disappoint. The Lord is, is faithful. And I think that's, that's kind of what we see as we, we get into verses 8 and 9. You're seeing kind of a reflection like what we looked at in Exodus of, of who God is, right? It says, Zion is glad, hears and is glad. The daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. Um, and who is Zion? You know, Zion's the heavenly city. Zion's Jerusalem. Zion's where God's people are. And the daughters of Judah, right? The, the tribe of Judah, like the, the line of God's people goes through these daughters of Judah throughout the Old Testament. And so these are references, I think, are really, that are really helpful to the people who were reading this in, in Old Testament times, right, as well as for us, but especially for them because they're thinking through Hebrew history, right? They're thinking through what God has done for his people over and over and over again, from parting the Red Sea to uh, the Passover to defeating numerous upon numerous enemies of God's people and just sustaining them through that, right? They're thinking of his, his deliverance. And so they're rejoicing because they are remembering who the Lord is. And so just going back to our main points, you know, you have this rule of the king, of this majestic divine king, and you have this response of creation. 
and that's kind of where we are, is just working our way through, through this response. And part of their response is, is remembering who he is and, and what he's done for them throughout real actual history, right? Not hypothetical um, like concepts of God defeating enemies, but he's actually defeated actual enemies of, of, his, of his people. And, and they can see that, and then they can let that fuel their worship of him. And I think that's such a lesson for us as we are here this morning, as we come week in and week out, and we hear the word of God. In part, that's what it's for, right? Is to, to point to all these, all these things, all these ways that he's been faithful to his people over centuries and centuries, right? And, and keeping his covenant promises. And that's supposed to fuel our love for him, to fuel our desire for him, to fuel the, the, the deep effort that we'll put in to, to know him as much as we can and um, be changed by, by his spirit. And so that's a lot of what we're seeing in verses eight and nine is, you know, for you, O Lord, verse nine says, are most high over, over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. And so through this deliverance that God has done through his people, um, whether here or in our lives, you know, every bit of deliverance, every act of deliverance that we've seen is to show us that there is no Lord like this Lord, right? There's, there's no one else like him. You're the most high over all the earth. You're exalted above all the other gods, right? That's, that's one of the things we need to be thinking about as, as we reflect on how God's delivered maybe us from, from the things in our lives, just like the people reading the psalm initially and singing the psalm initially would have been doing. And so they're rejoicing because they remember these, these actions the Lord has taken. And this really leads us into of, of our final point of the remembrance of God's people in 10 through 12. You know, this, this remembrance is what's fueling uh, fueling their, their worship and specifically remembering the covenant, right? They're remembering these diff- different acts that God's done and these different enemies he's defeated, but they're also remembering covenant promises he's kept, right, to Abraham. So um, in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, this is when the Lord is telling Abraham, you know, how he's going to make him a great nation. He's going to bless those who bless him, curse, curse those who curse him, I mean, bless all the nations, again, all the nations, like through, through his offspring, and so this isn't really the psalmist just looking up to the sky and kind of having a revelation of God's goodness. Even though God does work that way, he can, he can teach us through doing that. But he's, he's writing this psalm out of this culmination of experience, right? From his experience, from the experience of his people, um, over generations and generations, going all the way back to Abraham when God made this initial covenant promise to him and just watching it work, work itself out over and over again, watching the faithfulness of God over and over and over and, and that's why he can say these words so confidently, because if you look, these are very confident words, right? There's no, no kind of ifs, ands, or buts about what he's, he's saying here in Psalm 97. This is fact, the way that he's presenting this. And he can do that because he knows it to be true. He's internalized it, and he's letting that fuel his, his worship. And, and, and we should be doing the same. And this look backwards really... Um, it's helpful for us, like reflecting on who God is and what he's done. If you're looking at your life before you became a Christian, if you're a Christian here today, just thinking through what things were like for you, what your heart was like, and then thinking about how the Lord stepped in and intervened and changed that so drastically. You know, um, no matter what our testimonies are, there's a drastic heart change that happens when we encounter the divine king, right? He, he shakes things up, and, and part of that shaking up is him bringing the disorder of our lives and of our hearts into the order that that he has established from the beginning, that he, he wants for his people to thrive and to have life. 
And so that remembrance is really important. Remembering the reigning one, right? It's the title of the sermon this morning. And that, that's important to fuel everything that we do as, as followers of Christ, um, as believers in this God, is just never losing sight of who he is and, and what it is that he's done, right? And that's, that's why we can't just relax when we, when we reflect on those things, right? That reflection moves us into action. It moves us into worship. It moves us into deeper devotional lives at home. Like we want to know his word. We want to know what it says. We want to teach our friends what it says. We want to teach our kids the truth about who this king is, right? Because we, we know it to be true. He's, he's changed us. And so we want that to be true of others. <clears throat> and so looking at verse 10 specifically, it says, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Hate evil, exclamation point, you know, is what the ESV says. Um, and so I think as we're doing that reflection, a part of that is it's going to, it's going to drive us away from the things that aren't of God, the things that try to take glory away from, from this king. We're not going to want to do those if we're, if we're staying focused on him and on who he is. You know, we're not going to care about a lot of trivial things going on around us and be affected in the same way maybe as, as we are now if we're reflecting on his reign, his authority over all things. And, and that's going to really spur us into action, right? Like hate evil isn't a passive thing either. Um, rejoicing in the Lord's not passive, but hating evil is not passive either. That's, that's taking steps, right? That's getting away from evil things. Um, if, if you, I'm thinking of like several New Testament passages right now of, of where Paul is admonishing the people he's writing to. And he's saying like, make no provision for the flesh. Like don't get close to those things, you know, and Proverbs, when the writer is talking about wisdom, you know, he's talking about not, not pitching your tent, not going too close to the door of, of something that's going to pull you away from wisdom. And, and that, that's, that's what this is getting at as well. That same idea of, of hating evil. Like don't, don't even affiliate with, with these things that the, the divine king um, has come here to defeat, right? Um, what, a, what a misuse of our time as God's people and, and any person who created in God's image to, to spend so much of our time consumed by things that he hates and who, uh, that are trying to steal his glory, right, and detract from who he is, right? Let us spend our time instead hating evil by uh, uh, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with our God, by loving our neighbor as ourself, as Scripture tells us to do, by um, worshiping him, you know, while we're here on Sundays, throughout our week, and everything we do, right? This is kind of a total, total transformation, right? Like, making order out of a disordered world um, looks completely different than just going with the flow of, of how the universe works. And I think this is what the psalmist is trying to, to get at, too. And and to do that successfully can only really happen if we're reflecting on the divine king, right? If we see our place in his kingdom um, as, as his servants, as those who should be loving and worshiping him and not those who should, who have autonomy to just kind of do what we like, no matter the consequences, right? And verses 11 through 12 really show the blessing that comes from that, right? Hating evil, um, in verse 10, for a second, going back, you know, it says he preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. And so almost going back to this idea of, remember, he delivers those who are his, who care for him, who follow and obey him. There's life in, in our obedience and our getting away from evil. And it says in verse 11, light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. And this idea of light is sown is, is almost a, 
the same language used when you're talking about the horizon coming up. You know, you can, you can see it coming. It's shedding more and more light as it gets higher. Um, you can kind of see the way to go more and more. And, and so this is saying if we're living in the, the ordered way and the way God has created us to live, if we're following him completely, as we do that day by day, he's showing us more and more of himself, more and more of, of his goodness and his mercy of his might over evil and sin, right? Of, of his strength to help us in our weaknesses. That's, that's done day by day through our, through our daily obedience, through our daily sanctification, right? And so more and more, you know, that, that's dawning over us, that idea of the sunrise. Light is being sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. And so that means if we're following this king, if we're living in his world the way that he's created us to live, we're, we're going to have joy, right, no matter what. In the midst of a year like this year where nothing seems to be going right for 99% of people, um, we can still have joy, right, because our, our hope, our our ultimate purpose isn't found in, you know, what we can do with our time um, or how we do school or any of those things that are, are hard to deal with in our day-to-day, but that's not where we find our, our hope, right? We don't find our hope in politicians and elections either. We, we find our hope in the king who's reigning over all that stuff, all those things, all those little moments and big moments in our lives. And, and if we're really focused on him and we're really taking these words and internalizing them, there's, there's joy for us, right? It, it, it's almost like, kind of like this, I think I used the, last time I preached, I used the idea of Eeyore. It's just a really funny image because that's how we can be a lot of times, I think. You know, we can just kind of be walking with our head down and, and just very, like, sad or frustrated or just kind of tormented on the inside. But verse 11 says, you know, there is joy for the upright in heart. So it's just this picture of God just lifting up our head, you know, lifting us up out of our, out of our despair, out of our worry and anxiety, out of our disappointment sometimes, and just reminding us of, of what's really going on, reminding us of kind of what that, that funnel is, you know, of, from end to end, from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of our lives to the end of our lives. It's about the Lord, knowing the Lord and worshiping the Lord, knowing him and worshiping him each day when we get up. Just repeat the cycle, right? Um, and that will cause us to, to have a very different heart than if we're living in any, other, in any other way. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. And, and my prayer for you as, as we've been talking through this psalm and looking at its implications for our lives, um, I hope that you can see just how, how powerful this Lord is and how good this, this King is and that um, he, is, he is the way of life, right? He is bringing order to things that are very messed up and very out of sorts and he's putting them back together because only he can do that. Right? And if you are a Christian today, I hope and pray that your faith is like strengthened by these words, that you can, can see this and, and be reminded of the, the blessings that come from a, a God-filled, God-centered life, just knowing that this king is reigning over you and me um, and that he has good purposes in mind and that he is, he's seeing them out. He's accomplishing them, Right? He's reminding us here that he's done it in the past and he's going to do it now and he's going to do it in the future and that we can hope in that and have, have great encouragement in that while we're in this, this waiting, this tension of, of life, this side of heaven. Right? And so may we be people who love the Lord and hate evil and who see his, his glory and see his goodness and see his reign and rejoice. And may we also be people who take that joy and take that truth that he's, he shared with us and 
take it to other people, share it with others. There's a whole community outside our doors in Northeast Wisconsin that, that needs to hear this and needs to, to know who this king is um, and that he always keeps his promises and that he is good and he always does good. And so may we transition into this time of the Lord's Supper in a moment with that in mind, that we have, we have a reason to have joy and to, and to partake in the supper knowing that it isn't for nothing, that we won't be put to shame, that this is, this is real and true and God is teaching us and growing us right now. And so um, as, as we do that, let's, let's just, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the truth that you are the divine king who conquers all of your enemies and creation responds accordingly, Lord. Thank you that you, um, the reality of who you are demands a response. And I pray that we would be people who, who respond in the way that you've called us to, Lord. Help us to respond by remembering your, your faithfulness and your goodness. And I pray that as we, we do that in our lives each day, that you would just fill us with joy that helps us to love you more and love others more. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.